0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this podcast by QCG. In this podcast, we look to discuss, explore, and expand on topical issues that are high up on the reward and HR agenda. My name is Juan Novoa. I'm the consulting lead at QCG, and I will be your host today. And on this podcast, we are going to talk about recent trends in benchmarking and how the way organizations look at and use market data is changing. If this is your first time uh, on this podcast or if it is the first time you hear about QCD, we are a reward and employee experience consultancy based in London. You can find more about us on www.qcd.co.uk. So let's get started. Joining me on the podcast today is Peter Fairchild senior consultant at QCG. Peter has been a part of our team for almost seven years now. He has delivered and led on a number of reward projects. He's also our sector lead in a number of uh, sectors, including rail construction, project management, and the regulatory sector. He leads on a number of surveys. He has quite a bit of experience under his belt to share with us today. Welcome, Peter.
1: Welcome, Juan. Thank you for the generous introduction and uh, very excited to make my podcast debut today.
0: Yes, yes. Well, we are excited to have you too. So let's let's jump right into it because we, we know benchmarking is part and parcel of work in reward. Uh, we know especially in the second half of the year, many of our clients are looking at data to prepare for their pay review. Throughout the year, they look at data to inform different pay and, and other reward decisions. Um, and let's face it, benchmarking is not typically your, your big topic of conversation, but things things are a bit different now. So why why don't you... Get the ball rolling by telling us what's what's happening. What are you seeing? What's what's different this time around?
1: Well, the first thing I think um, that that I'm seeing in particular is the demand for data uh, is is definitely out there. So uh, I've seen it more, I guess, acutely in the in the sector surveys that I run. Um, a number of different organisations have indicated they're not quite sure exactly what the market's doing at the moment. They're not quite sure how best to approach things uh, and that they really came sooner rather than later as well. Um, most of our sector set serving timings are kind of towards the autumn end of summer, beginning of autumn, but there's a kind of, you know, tipping point, I think, in terms of people are going back into the office um, fingers crossed as of June the 21st. Suddenly organizations are thinking, well, well, what's happening right now? What's the market done so far up until this point and, and, and what's going to change? Um, so I think, I think the demand at the moment is is, is definitely there in terms of um, many different areas of the reward package. So um, not just base salary, but but other parts of that, which I, I know we'll touch on uh, in due course.
0: Okay, and, and it is very interesting because in times of uncertainty, it's almost uh, a bit of a paradox because in times of uncertainty, clients tend to to want to know what others are doing but if everyone's on the same boat and what what are they benchmarking to and and we know from a number of uh, networking forums that we facilitate those are good spaces for people to talk through their thinking where they are Um, and to something we actually that that helps people start putting some uh, stakes in the ground Uh, obviously with the pandemic, uh, a lot of people are interested to know what, how that's impacting market data in general and other areas that people benchmark. So from that point of view, what, what are the main things that you're seeing from the pandemic that are impacting on elements of the remuneration package that people benchmark. What are the key things
1: to look out for and to watch out watch out for as well? well the first thing to, to say really is that it's wrapped into the, you know, what am I seeing at the moment is also, I think there's a timing point here in terms of, so last year, obviously, when the pandemic hit, um, you know, organisations and employees took a step back from the kind of pay and, and, and bonus cycles and, you know, concentrating more on the well being, the ways of working. Aspects and sort of getting through. Um, I think now that, you know, the that hopefully the pandemic is, is coming to a close, um, if that's not too optimistic way of saying it, I think now employees are kind of, there's a bit more demand from them as well, and they have a lot of uh, information at their fingertips. Um, in preparation for this podcast, I was thinking of what's changed since I first joined QCG. And, and one of the things I used to do to benchmark was literally go off into the office cupboard, uh, have a look at uh, the various sources via textbook that we used to describe too, almost. Uh, whereas these days, employees have information at their fingertips, you know, not just uh, job adverts, you know, from various different sources and, and obviously typically picking one that, that pays well, uh, but also things like the the rise of crowdsourcing information, such as, uh, you know, Glassdoor and, and, and other sources like that, means that employees have, you know, that, that I guess, looked to the external market coupled with, Generally more review on internal pay rates as well for comparable roles it means that the sort of demand is there not just from the organization point of view uh, but also from the employee point of view and that brings me on to the first real sort of point I want to make which is um, that it, it, it's it's absolutely crucial for for HR and and reward in particular to really kind of set the the boundaries and set the scene for benchmarking uh, even more so now than than ever before so a couple of years ago uh, i was talking to a lot of clients and they were having a real struggle in terms of uh, employees and managers want to benchmark because essentially they want a pay increase you know the the they were kind of looking at the outcome first and then going well how do i get this this pay increase for this you know in-demand role or or you know key key person it's to go and benchmark and since then i think hr and reward have kind of managed to bridge that gap a bit they've managed to really know clarify the expectations of, of what benchmarking does and doesn't do so you know it's not automatically adjusting uh, pay to a certain point it's not you know automatically uh, trying to match other organizations in the market but it's more about you know what kind of evidence basis can we use to provide uh, a reference point uh, and you know what what does it actually mean you know if we if we do benchmark something and what what is benchmarking based on it's not very specific organizations, and very specific sources, job adverts, et cetera. It's more a kind of reference rate from a, a sort of wide pool um, of, of, well, a wide recruitment pool that organizations have. So I think in the climate, current climate more than ever, it's really important to to interpret the results, to be really careful and, and set expectations for what benchmarking does uh, and, and doesn't do. Yeah, that's very
0: interesting. Top of the points that you mentioned, because it, there does seem to be a sense that people are now more educated about benchmarking and that organizations are paying more attention to educating people about what benchmarking is. I mean, we often have the classic conversation, a benchmark is not a target, it's a reference and you need to be careful with not position benchmarks as something that you commit to match and it's just part of a wider conversation and there's we talked about demand as well in terms of I think that also reflects this greater appetite for transparency and and fairness and and with that data comes into the equation Um, we get a bit more into the detail now of the impact of COVID on, on pay and benchmarking one of the Things that, that we've discussed within the team has actually been how what's going to happen to survey results. And you could find yourself in situations where due to redundancies, restructuring for law, or a number of events, there could be quite a bit of distortion on the pay levels that surveys uh, report, which may may be an accurate representation of the market, but also depending on how you use data, that, that could create some challenges. So what's what's your view on that and, and what would you recommend people do in order to manage those risks?
1: So I guess the first thing is to, it's important to not, not bury your head in the sand, you know, just because you predict some distortion and maybe some... some difficult to interpret results doesn't mean that you shouldn't still keep an eye out on what the market is doing Um, so you know sort of doing nothing is is not really going to be a viable option to respond to as we say demand from employees managers the organization in general the second thing really is trying to understand you know how how do we actually know that benchmarking is reflecting real pay movement so you know it, I mean it's going to be fascinating for myself as well as as lead of the, the different sector surveys um, with the publication to come. It's going to be fascinating to see what the market movements are. Uh, and the way we really sort of get to the bottom of that is uh, and I think what's what's more important now more than ever uh, is to analyze the kind of match sample, same incumbent salary movements to really see A, what the true picture, what what you know, what the most accurate. Assessment of pay movements are uh, and B, in which kind of pockets of specialisms or seniority uh, are those going to be as well? And we're, that's something we're going to be asking clients about and, and has become more and more relevant looking at it from one angle, which is the angle of pay budgets. So, you know, do you prioritize pay budgets on uh, those who are most vulnerable, um, you know, the most junior employees or, or particular pockets of specialisms? But it will be also fascinating to see from the kind of benchmarking results and, and, and outcomes angle, you know, what really, where the sort of proof is in the pudding in terms of, okay, so what the market movement's actually been, what does that mean in terms of uh, the way that we then benchmark roles going forward? You know, do we, do organisations look more towards uh, a more general statement of, of the level of alignment compared to the market or, or do they look for very specific um, premium roles that are in demand, to, you know, we all know about IT, um, but are there other areas which you know because of the changes of ways of working, because of the changes in uh, the UK economy at the moment? Are there other specialisms that have maybe cropped up uh, as well, specifically as a result of, of the pandemic? It's going to be yeah, a fascinating question for us to answer this year.
0: Yeah, so definitely important to keep an eye on the data, probably more now than ever. And there's definitely going to be a lot of value on this year and year trends analysis because that's going to give you more context to the results. And and especially this year it's important to understand what what changes may be triggered by outliers in samples, what may actually be or signal the start of some trends to continue. So this is when A, having Quality data and also having some analysis behind it—not just the quartiles and medians, but also some linear trends can really help you out. And something that has been coming up quite a bit in our conversations with clients, and you've had a few of these, Peter, has to do with location pay, and usually with a lot of office-based workers working remotely, many organizations moving to some sort of hybrid models or fully remote working, even in some cases. There is a big question around, okay, what does that mean to location pay us? As we know, London typically commands a little bit of a premium is, normally, actually we've, we've seen it, been built into salaries, some organizations still pay a separate allowance. Uh, and even though, if you look at the past five to ten years, that the gap has been little by little reducing, it's still clearly a premium in London and other locations. So, there's two two questions that emerge from this: A, what are you seeing, or how do you think this location premium will evolve? And B what should organizations be thinking about when it comes to the question of location pay and whether or not they they should be differentiating pay for their employees on the basis of location what what are your thoughts on that
1: so it's a very difficult question to answer i'll give it a good go (laughs) i've been asked about it an awful lot in the past year Um, and i think organizations are at the point where they're at the moment trying to gather some data on uh, A, what others are doing. So, um, inverted is benchmarking. You know what 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 they're seeing others do in the market, um, and B also the kind of economic data as part of that. And there are some there was different pressures depending on which sectors you look at. Um, so, for example, and, and these are relevant to the the sectors that I lead on. Uh, so, the kind of construction engineering market is obviously you know, it's it's more about the kind of micro markets where the big projects are, where the key demand for for skills are. So it's always thrown up sort of alternative hotspots compared to other uh, markets such as Aberdeen or, you know, Bristol, um, the, the sort of locations around where HS2 are, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and in the civil service, um, there's, there's this move to, you know expand roles out of London there's a big push to try uh and kind of equalize where where roles are based so from that point of view that kind of I suppose theoretical point of view coupled with you know a large proportion of the workforce is working from home at the moment one prediction could be uh that you know the the regional premium will end up reducing but it, it's it's not as you know it's not as straightforward as that there's lots of different um uh, factors that that we can look at and you know Juan, both you and I have looked at and, and debated over the past year or so so there's things such as uh, you know a market com- competitiveness in terms of okay so have the markets actually changed or are organizations just talking about uh, changes in the in the market you know is there still actually a London premium um, so as you said just now the kind of premium has been slightly decreasing but it is still around 10 percent is, is what we're finding across most surveys and We've almost expected that to decrease a bit more quickly, I think, but it hasn't quite got there yet. So there's a lot of talk about regional pay at the moment, but what is actually happening uh, is going to be an important question. And then we also have other factors to, to take into account as well, such as things like um, availability of skills. So in some areas which you'd uh, expect to have uh, you know, pay below that of London levels, but because there's such a lack of skills in the area then that might actually push up the you know the the rates for the skills in the area. Uh, also house prices um, something to, to look at as well is, is actual kind of cost of living and actual mortgage payments and, and house prices. Lots of bold predictions that uh, the housing market for London might slow over the next couple of years and everywhere else may increase as the as the economy looks to recover but I think the kind of way to to get through this is to kind of go back to your your principles and how you manage regional pay so really you know you don't have to make sweeping changes right now that's kind of not really what i'm saying but it's more to to take that step back and have a look okay so why up until now have we had regional differences in pay if if we have as an organization what have they been based on are those factors still appropriate Um, you know being careful about okay so what is the market doing and that's where benchmarking can come into play you know if you hack away your your London premium if you do pay one but the market is still there to pay premium in London then you could be shooting yourselves in the foot Um, but it's important to kind of look internally I think at at the moment and, and just really understand you know your the workforce that you have the the way that your organization works if if a lot of work can be done remotely then you know what does that say for the kind of internal equity the kind of fairness piece across different locations so it's a kind of combination of not shooting yourself in the foot uh, by changing too quickly uh, in terms of what the market's doing but also having the opportunity now to really throw regional pay differences up in the air and and really test if they are valid or not i think
0: yeah that that makes sense and i think that that summarizes the recommendation which is yourself is by yourself some time. I don't think anyone now can say with any degree of certainty what's going to happen to the market. And we'll need to say how markets evolve, how cost of living evolves in different locations. It's very important, that point that you made, that it's not just about geography. Depending on skill, supply and demand in different areas, you could find market premiums emerging even in regions that as a whole are not very high paying. And uh, it is important to remember the, the very basic principle behind location pay, which is based on the demand that employers place on their employees to be based within commuting distance of a particular office or workplace. Uh, when that demand is placed on the employee by the employer, then there is uh, an obligation in a way to reflect that if that means employees have to live in a location with high cost of living. Now that employees have the option of where to live in many situations, that case is not as strong. But as you said, Peter, there may be other variables that come into play. Um, Very interesting also in conversations with other clients to, to think what is happening to recruitment pools because on the one hand, you'll think, okay, If organizations move to remote models, their recruitment pools will really expand and they'll be able to reach a wider pool of candidates. But on the other hand, that may be the case for other organizations too. So that could actually be one of those factors that drives greater parity across regions. Uh, The reality is we don't know what's going to happen. If these remote working models do take hold and do become the norm, that could be an option but we might as well just find that uh, employees even want to go back to the workplace and that the logic for location pay is still there. So wait and see, watch this space and just build enough flexibility to, into your plans to, to adjust course as, as things become here in the future. Um, just a couple of other things to, to cover on this podcast. Uh, the first one, is how benchmarking and how benchmarking is used has also changed in terms of the relative weight it carries on decisions with greater demands for internal equity and a lot of scrutiny on this. uh, We found that if an organization is heavily driven by the market that could create higher risks of internal inequities. So with a greater focus on internal equity now, what is the right balance? What is the role of benchmarking? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, um, and it's always an interesting one when you're talking to senior leaders and and they're saying, yeah, 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 internal equity is definitely the the name of the game at the moment in, in terms of the focus. And then you say, but on the flip side, that means does benchmarking take on a less important role? And then, you know, and, and if the external market changes, what does that mean? And, and suddenly it's, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> you know, so I always find that an interesting counterweight to, to the internal equity movement. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, if we take it in face value that all, a lot of organisations uh, that that we both worked with in, in the past couple of years, Juan, um, are moving towards internal equity, then... You know, there there should that should in theory reduce the pressure on, on benchmarking and some of the noise. Um, because you know, you're you're looking internally at comparable roles um and, and the kind of relationships between, you know, can you justify differences in pay um on, on on the basis of you know one of a number of factors, including benchmarking, rather than benchmarking being the centerpiece um for being able to justify differences in pay. Organisations and it'd be just to get your view on this, because obviously you've, uh, without revealing your age, you've been in the consulting game uh, longer than I have. Um, but I think organisations, you know, typically in the past year or two, it feels like benchmarking's on a kind of broader or higher level, I'd say. It, you know, we're seeing a lot of it in terms of looking across different levels and, and functions and across the entire organisation, looking to inform Uh, you know pay decisions and pay structures really rather than very specific you know I I used to be when I first joined uh, QCG I used to be taking part in numerous benchmarking activities for a wide span of roles all of which were on an individual basis all of which were annual whereas now it feels like there's more clients are going for a kind of level approach in terms of the case of what what does benchmarking look like per level rather than on an individual basis so that to me just just tells me that benchmarking is taking on more of a kind of, okay, let's use this as a kind of evidence basis to, to underpin uh, maybe our pay ranges, but then for other elements of reward structures, let's then really concentrate on the internal equity piece and leave very specific benchmarking for very specific roles. So, you know, roles where organisations are really feeling uh, difficulties in recruitment and retention, or, you know, there's a core Business project that needs to be delivered, and then it's absolutely crucial to to check that you're, um, you know, in, in the right ballpark. But generally, it feels like it's a kind of a higher level approach to benchmarking at the moment. Um, I'd like to uh, pop the question back to you, and sort of, you know, what's your what's your take, and what have you seen since you you first started?
0: You know, I think you you make a, a fair point, and we have experienced it at QCG, and I've seen it before I, I do think. Benchmarking is taking now on a more strategic level rather than tactical I think that day-to-day benchmarking or ad hoc roles, but doing that on an ongoing basis, doing that very frequently has, has changed. And I think that partly reflects that greater for internal focus, but there's always a need or very often at least there is a need to retain some degree of alignment to market and organizations are doing this by benchmarking more broadly looking across levels and obviously there's still specific applications especially in those functions where there are market fast market movements or where there are market premiums being delivered to keep a closer eye and do more detailed benchmarking but the nature of benchmarking has has changed i would agree with you in that and um, but still there's definitely a place for it. And and I think that takes us nicely to the last part of this conversation, uh, which builds on this theme of benchmarking being more strategic now, and and actually looks at how benchmarking is changing in terms of the the scope. So historically, it's been really heavily focused on base salary. Uh, But now organizations and employees are more attuned to the overall employee value proposition. So your competitive position on base salary on its own right is not telling the whole story and organizations are thinking more broadly about, okay, what does that represent in the wider context of my employee deal? Uh, Does that resonate with what you're seeing, with what you're hearing from clients?
1: Yeah, I completely agree, completely agree. So. I mean, typically it used to be, you know, we used to conduct base salary benchmarking and upfront with clients sort of say, but, you know, what about the total total picture? And it was, yeah, okay, that's that's more of a point in the interpretation. But I think the kind of total remuneration, why do employee deal, value proposition, whatever, whatever you want to call it, those kind of intangible aspects of working for organisation have now come more towards the forefront in terms of I actually want, you know, clients actually want the evidence and, and the data out there to then inform uh, decisions around you know the the, the broader employee lifecycle, so they've moved from you know yeah here's the base salary results off you go and by the way you should take these in in the context of the broader value proposition the total cash picture etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Now it's you know what what is that part up front and then let's interpret the the wider EVP the wider total remuneration picture and then you know understand what these results mean for the for the next reward decision that, that comes up. I think they they've definitely moved um, in that respect. And and finally, I in terms of my consulting with clients, it used to be um, up until recently, you know, we 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 do the benchmarking. Obviously we provide some interpretation of data as part of the course. Uh, but that was it. And, you know, clients would typically go away and, and that'd be that. Whereas now I think there's a lot more questions in terms of so how do we interpret you know, how do we interpret this? How do we use this in practice? Uh, you know, I've been asked case studies by by clients. So an employee's come back and said this, that, and the other. You know, what does that mean in terms of the wider pay structure? So I just think that shows you that the importance of the interpretation of data in, in these uncertain times, and you know, trusting your your sources of, of benchmarking. Otherwise, the the business or employees or managers, you know, those on the front line just won't trust the outcomes. So I think that kind of quite neatly brings us all the way back around, back to the point of of the importance of interpretation of data.
0: Good, and I think that wraps it up very nicely. So a couple of big messages coming out from this. Uh, are first benchmarking, the nature scope of benchmarking definitely changing. Uh, second, there's still a need and a, and a demand for market data. Um, Third, is is not so tactical now. It's more important to look at the data more strategically in terms of the current context, the prevailing uncertainty, what the results mean in the context of the wider employee value proposition, and so on. So there you go. Just when you think that benchmarking won't give you much to talk about, (laughs) you get a full podcast of it. And you could probably stay here a while longer, but we won't do that. Um, So thank you so much, Peter, for joining. It was really helpful to hear your experiences and your views on what's happening.
1: Pleasure. It was uh, great to be here. I look look forward to the next one.
0: Hope you enjoyed your podcast debut. And to everyone who's listening, thank you also. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, We hope you join us for future podcasts. In the meantime, uh, keep an eye on the articles that we publish and other information that we have on our website, www.qcg.co.uk. Uh, goes without saying, if you need help with benchmarking or if you just want to use so as a sounding board for your plans or your ideas, we're always happy to have the conversation. Um, so yeah, drop us a line, go to our website and have a great day. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Juan.